something in the bathtub. We gotta pull them in. Welcome to Hawaii Community Church. My name is Michelle LeBeau, and I oversee community life here. Uh, so if you are new, visiting for the first time, we would love to welcome you and um, come alongside you wherever you are in your faith journey and help you take those next steps. Uh, today there was a brunch celebrating Palm Sunday. I don't know if you saw the cross out there that Drake made, but it's beautiful. Um, Easter we'll be decorating that with flowers, so that's going to be fun. Uh, we have a lot going on this week, being Holy Week. Today is the first day of Holy Week, and we have three more days to celebrate this week. I was going to say three more services, but that's wrong. Five more services. We have Monday, Thursday coming up this Thursday night, 6.30 to 7.30. Um, the kids will be able to have a little program in room two. And um, if you've never been to our Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, I really encourage it. It really will just um, impact your whole Easter experience in a new way. Um, we put a lot of thought into those services, and they're very contemplative. Um, communion on Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday, 6.30 to 7.30. And then on Easter Sunday, three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Um, those will be family-friendly services, so you can bring in your kids, but we will have a program for the under-first graders, uh, and they'll have an Easter egg hunt and activities in the back. Plus, all kids will receive a little pack when they come in with uh, things that will engage them in the service, coloring things and um, fun activities if your kids have trouble sitting uh, still. <laughs> uh, we will provide that for them. Um, so anyway, Easter's going to be a big day, and we anticipate bigger crowds, so we have a parking lot next door. We encourage you to park up there if you can, and join us on Easter Sunday. Um, next, we have life groups starting after Easter, starting the week of April 30th. Um, our church is rooted in life groups. We have um, half of our congregation, or more now, uh, in small groups, and we believe that's where real transformation takes place. Um, so we encourage you, if you're not in a group, to sign up for one today on the patio. There's sign-up sheets. You can also uh, sign up online. Uh, the groups after Easter will be going to a study called Thrive. And basically, it's a discipleship series, and it walks through nine traits of a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ. What are the outward signs that a follower of Christ would, would show um, to demonstrate that that's who they follow? And so we're excited about this study, um, and I'm going to invite up Amy DeFair right now. And I also want to invite up anyone else that's in your life group just to stand with her. So Karen, Karen. Laura, Krista, who else? Okay. Yes, made it much easier, she said. <laughs> so, um, we have been in a life group together for about um, six, seven years. I don't know, what are we going on? And um, we meet every Friday morning, and we've just had an amazing journey together. And um, I could ask any one of these gals to come up and talk about what it's meant to them, but I'm just going to ask Amy today. Amy, tell us about... Maybe your life before and your life after. What has this life group meant to you? Good morning, everyone. Um, this life group has really changed my life in so many ways. I mean, go on and on. But mainly it's just getting together with these ladies, and we have 12 of us in our group, and just having that community around me constantly. We meet every Friday, all the time. <laughs> we break for a little bit during summer and spring, but just having the community of sisters 
and just knowing that they're there for me, I wasn't really good about reaching out for help if I needed it before. So it's taught me that there are a community of people around me that want to help you if you need it and to reach out for it if you need it and also to be there for them as well. And just growing in my faith so much. I mean, we dive into the Word and I probably wouldn't have read as much of the Bible <laughs> if we weren't studying it, doing the studies that we do and the study we're doing right now is on the Holy Spirit and it's just, just eye-opening how you need to invite the Holy Spirit in and pray. And the thing that, that I've grown the most in is prayer. I didn't know how to pray before. And um, God has gifted me with being a prayer warrior, which I didn't know I could be. If you would have said that 10 years ago, I would have laughed. And it's just just growing in prayer and learning about the Holy Spirit, how you call it, to be in you and alive in you, just allows you to grow. And I would encourage anyone to get into a life group. Um, even if you're just learning or new to your faith, I was pretty new to my faith when I joined ours. And when Michelle asked me to join, I'm not going to lie, I was like, oh, are they crazy Bible thumping ladies? <laughs> and yes, they are. They're really cool. <laughs> They're just normal people. <laughs> but I didn't know because they grew up around religion, not so much a relationship with Jesus or through Jesus. So I was really turned off by it. So when she asked me, I was like, well, I kind of work full time. Maybe I can come a little bit. But now, I mean, I wouldn't even miss it. There's nothing that I would do after four years. I've been with them four years that I would miss a group with them. I love it, and I look forward to it every Friday. I make time, I schedule it out, and I show up and do the work. Thank you, Amy. That was perfect. So we have many other stories in the congregation of people who are growing through life groups. So don't miss out. Um, please sign up. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Gals. Uh, finally, Pathways to Faith is starting up May 7th. This is our eight-week um, series on the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. If you are new in your faith, if you are maybe even a non-believer, someone who's still exploring, this is the class for you. They walk through in your, in your bulletin, you'll see a flyer that tells you the topics that they go through each week. Um, it'll be offered during the second service for eight weeks in room two, um, and it's led by Diane and Phil, and there are simply no... Stronger Bible teachers in this congregation, Phil and Diane. How many of you have been to Pathways or their Wednesday night Bible study? Yes, um, you can all attest to the fact that they know what they're talking about. And they do it in a way that's interactive and interesting and just pulls you in and um, you'll want to continue with their Bible study when the class is over. So anyway, um, you can sign up for that out on the patio or just join us on May 7th. That's all I have. Let's stand and greet the people around us before we continue worshiping together.
day. Uh, what a great day to worship the Lord. Uh, we're at the beginning of what's called Holy Week, and uh, this is Palm Sunday. We're going to talk a little bit about what that means. And, and really, our focus today is on two things, the Savior and the city. A Savior and the city. And to get us in the right, right frame of mind, I want to ask you a, a question, a very deep personal question. I'll put that on the spot a little bit. So what's your favorite city? Uh, and turn to the person on either side of you and tell them what your favorite city is and why it is your favorite city. Whatever city that is. What's your favorite city? Why is it your favorite city? Take a minute to do that. Jesus and 
experienced uh, him fully, that I, I want to tell you my story. And so the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel meaning good news, is a narrative about Matthew's three-year sojourn with Jesus. And so here we are, uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem, the holy city, and it says, as they approach Jerusalem, they, meaning his entourage, uh, other disciples and, and friends and other people traveling with them, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage. Bethphage yeah, means house of figs. It's one of the towns as you crest the hill, as you come out of the desert, say if you're in the Jordanian River Valley, the beautiful Jordan River, as you come up through the, the foothills, you go always high when you go to Jerusalem. It's the highest place. And so you, you move up to Jerusalem. It's in the south of Israel, but you're always going up to Jerusalem. And as you come over the last hill before you see the city, it's breathtaking. Uh, you hit these little villages, one of them, Bethphage, on the mount, which is called the Mount of Olives. As you crest the Mount of Olives, uh, there's another village or two villages, and then there's this beautiful hillside, and that's where you see um, uh, the place called Gethsemane. Because it was a Mount of Olives, Gethsemane is an olive crest, and so it goes down into a valley, a little tiny valley, and then there's a city. So the whole thing is quite stunning. So Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Uh, Matthew goes on to say, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, it seems sort of odd for us uh, to make your big appearance into the city on a donkey. This would not be something that would make a lot of sense in our culture. If you're going to make a big entrance, you don't come in on a donkey. You come in on a big charger, stallion, a very impressive horse. Uh, but in this case, the setup is that if you're the king, all the power is right here. I don't need a charger. I don't need an army. Wherever I am is where the power resides. And this is not Jesus' way of talking about himself, but this was the image of somebody coming in on a donkey was, whoa, What's going on here? Um, and so the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. So what's happening here is it's Passover week. Passover, the most holy uh, celebration in Israel. Uh, it's commemorating their, their relief and the release from captivity in Egypt. And this incredible, extraordinary event called Passover is what Jews constantly come back to. Uh, whether they believe it or not, they come back to that. I was sitting on a plane yesterday, talking to this lady, and uh, she was on her way up to Northern California uh, to plan a Seder dinner. And she's not Jewish, but she's married to a guy who's Jewish. And as they talked about it, as we, as we talked, it was like, I don't really, you know, believe all this stuff, but I love the Seder dinner. It's this wonderful moment of commemoration. We've had Seder dinners here. Seder, the word just means order. There's an order to the dinner that tells the story of Passover. God releasing and giving relief to the slaves in Egypt. And all these wonderful things that come out of that. And literally, it was them sacrificing a lamb, putting the blood of the lamb on the door from top to bottom, side to side. So that you see all these little uh, houses with a red cross on them. And this, this is where God had told the, the Israelites to stay in that house. And then um, during the night, the angel of death will pass over Egypt and claim the firstborn of every home not marked with the Red Cross. And so then it broke the will of, of Pharaoh. He said, okay, fine. I'll let these people go. Take what you need to get out of here. 
So this is the moment celebrated to this day uh, in Israel. Uh, and so the crowd has spread because these people are coming from all over Israel, some maybe every year, some every, every so often, uh, and at least once in their lifetime. They want to come to Jerusalem, the city of God, for Passover. There's also people who are what's called the diaspora. Those, those people are spread out all over the place. Jews who live in other places, other countries and cultures. And so there's this incredible, wonderful uh, camaraderie of people from all over the known world coming to, to Jerusalem. So it's a huge event. It'd be like every major athletic event in our country rolled into one. Uh, 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 all happening at the same time. And so Luke gives us a little bit of insight here. Uh, about what's going on with Jesus. And the people are celebrating because it's such a big deal. So exciting. And the palm branches represent, first of all, they're easy to get. There's palm trees everywhere. So the palm branches are a really festive way of saying, we're, we're crazy. We're showing our praise demonstrably in the behavior. And, and, and it stands for peace. It stands for the prosperity of the people. But Luke tells us Jesus' perspective, parallel to this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Jesus, we, we know, it's recorded that he wept twice. I mean, I wept many times, but he, we know twice. Once on the way into Jerusalem, just before this happened, when his friend Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha's brother, Jesus comes three days after he's dead, he's in the tomb. Uh, Jesus calls him out of the tomb, but Jesus wept when he, when he was in the presence of Mary and Martha. He felt their pain. So now Jesus weeps over the city. And he says, if you, as it's speaking to the city, if you, even you, Services, but that's wrong. Five more services. 
We have Monday, Thursday coming up this Thursday night, 6.30 to 7.30. Um, the kids will be able to have a little program in room two. And um, if you've never been to our Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, I really encourage it. It really will just um, impact your whole Easter experience in a new way. Um, we put a lot of thought into those services, and they're very contemplative. Um, communion on Monday, Thursday, and then Good Friday, 6.30 to 7.30. And then on Easter Sunday, three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Um, those will be family-friendly services, so you can bring in your kids, but we will have a program for the under-first graders, uh, and they'll have an Easter egg hunt and activities in the back. Plus, all kids will receive a little pack when they come in with uh, things that will engage them in the service, coloring things and um, fun activities if your kids have trouble sitting uh, still. <laughs> uh, we will provide that for them. Um, so anyway, Easter's going to be a big day, and we anticipate bigger crowds, so we have a parking lot next door. We encourage you to park up there if you can, and join us on Easter Sunday. Um, next, we have life groups starting after Easter, starting the week of April 30th. Um, our church is rooted in life groups. We have um, half of our congregation, or more now, uh, in small groups, and we believe that's where real transformation takes place. Um, so we encourage you, if you're not in a group, to sign up for one today on the patio. There's sign-up sheets. You can also uh, sign up online. Uh, the groups after Easter will be going to a study called Thrive. And basically it's a discipleship series and it walks through nine traits of a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Christ. What are the outward signs that a follower of Christ would, would show um, to demonstrate that that's who they follow? And so we're excited about this study. Um, and I'm going to invite up Amy DeFair right now. And I also want to invite up anyone else that's in your life group just to stand with her. So Karen, Karen, Laura, Krista, who else? Okay. Yes, made it much easier, she said. <laughs> so um, we have been in a life group together for about um, six, seven years. I don't know, what are we going on? And um, we meet every Friday morning, and we've just had an amazing journey together. And um, I could ask any one of these gals to come up and talk about what it's meant to them, but I'm just going to ask Amy today. Amy, tell us about maybe your life before and your life after. What has this life group meant to you? Good morning, everyone. Um, this life group has really changed my life in so many ways. I mean, go on and on. But mainly it's just getting together with these ladies, and we have 12 of us in our group. And just having that community around me constantly. We meet every Friday, all the time. <laughs> we break for a little bit during summer and spring, but just having the community of sisters and just knowing that they're there for me. I wasn't really good about reaching out for help if I needed it before. So it's taught me that there are a community of people around me that want to help you if you need it and to reach out for it if you need it and also to be there for them as well. And just growing in my faith so much. I mean, we dive into the Word, and I probably wouldn't have read as much of the Bible <laughs> if we weren't studying it, doing the studies that we do, and the study we're doing right now is on the Holy Spirit, and it's just, just eye-opening how you need to invite the Holy Spirit in and pray. And the thing that, that I've grown the most in is prayer. I didn't know how to pray before, and 
God has gifted me with being a prayer warrior, which I didn't know I could be. If you would have said that 10 years ago, I would have laughed. And it's just, just growing in prayer and learning about the Holy Spirit, and you call it, to be in you and alive in you, just allows you to grow. And I would encourage anyone to get into a life group. Um, even if you're just learning or new to your faith, I was pretty new to my faith when I joined ours. And when Michelle asked me to join, I'm not going to lie, I was like, oh, are they crazy Bible thumping ladies? <laughs> and yes, they are, but they're really cool. <laughs> they're just normal people. <laughs> but I didn't know because they grew up around religion, not so much a relationship with Jesus or through Jesus. So I was really turned off by it. So when she asked me, I was like, well, I kind of work full time. Maybe I can come a little bit. But now, I mean, I wouldn't even miss it. There's nothing that I would do after four years. I've been with them four years that I would miss a group with them. I love it, and I look forward to it every Friday. I make time, I schedule it out, and I show up and do the work. Thank you, Amy. That was perfect. So we have many other stories in the congregation of people who are growing through life groups. So don't miss out. Um, please sign up. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Gals. Uh, finally, Pathways to Faith is starting up May 7th. This is our eight-week um, series on the fundamental truths of the Christian faith. If you are new in your faith, if you are maybe even a non-believer, someone who's still exploring, this is the class for you. They walk through in your, in your bulletin and see a flyer that tells you the topics that they go through each week. Um, it'll be offered during the second service for eight weeks in room two, um, and it's led by Diane and Phil, and there are simply no... Stronger Bible teachers in this congregation, Phil and Diane. How many of you have been to Pathways or their Wednesday night Bible study? Yes, um, you can all attest to the fact that they know what they're talking about. And they do it in a way that's interactive and interesting and just pulls you in and um, you'll want to continue with their Bible study when the class is over. So anyway, um, you can sign up for that out on the patio or just join us on May 7th. That's all I have. Let's stand and greet the people around us before we continue worshiping together.
Uh, he, he used all kinds of creative ways to uh, make a living and a life in, in Israel. And so he's telling us now, having come to Jesus and experienced uh, him fully, that I, I want to tell you my story. And so the Gospel of Matthew, Gospel meaning good news, is a narrative about Matthew's three-year sojourn with Jesus. And so here we are, uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem, the holy city. And it says, as they approach Jerusalem, they, meaning his entourage, uh, other disciples and, and friends and other people traveling with them, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage. Bethphage yeah, means house of figs. It's one of the towns as you crest the hill, as you come out of the desert, say if you're in the Jordanian River Valley, the beautiful Jordan River, as you come up through the, the foothills, you go always high when you go to Jerusalem. It's the highest place. And you, you move up to Jerusalem. It's in the south of Israel, but you're always going up to Jerusalem. And as you come over the last hill before you see the city, it's breathtaking. Uh, you hit these little villages. One of them, Bethphage, uh, the mount, which is called the Mount of Olives. As you crest the Mount of Olives, uh, there's another village or two little villages. And then there's this beautiful hillside. And that's where you see um, uh, the place called Gethsemane. Because it was a Mount of Olives, Gethsemane is an olive crest. And so it goes down into a valley, a little tiny valley, and then there's a city. So the whole thing is quite stunning. So Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Uh, Matthew goes on to say, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, it seems sort of odd for us uh, to make your big appearance into the city on a donkey. This would not be something that would make a lot of sense in our culture. If you're going to make a big entrance, you don't come in on a donkey. You come in on a big charger, stallion, a very impressive horse. Uh, but in this case, the setup is that if you're the king, all the power is right here. I don't need a charger. I don't need an army. Wherever I am is where the power resides. And this is not Jesus' way of talking about himself, but this was the image of somebody coming in on a donkey was, whoa, what's going on here? Um, and so the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the ground. So what's happening here is it's Passover week. Passover, the most holy uh, celebration in Israel. Uh, it's commemorating their, their relief and the release from captivity in Egypt. And this incredible, extraordinary event called Passover is what Jews constantly come back to. Uh, whether they believe it or not, they come back to that. I was sitting on a plane yesterday talking to this lady, and uh, she was on her way up to Northern California uh, to plan a Seder there. And she's not Jewish, but she's married to a guy who's Jewish. And as they talked about it, as we, as we talked, it was like, I, I don't really, you know, believe all this stuff, but I love the Seder dinner. It's this wonderful moment of commemoration. We've had Seder dinners here. Seder, the word just means order. There's an order to the dinner that tells the story of Passover. God releasing and giving relief to the slaves in Egypt, and all these wonderful things that come out of that. And literally, it was them sacrificing a lamb, putting the blood of the lamb on the door from top to bottom, side to side, so that you see all these little uh, houses with a red cross on them. And this, this is where God had told the, the Israelites to stay in that house. And then um, during the night, the angel of death will pass over Egypt. 
and claimed the firstborn of every home, not marked with the Red Cross. And so then it broke the will of Pharaoh, who said, okay, fine, I'll let these people go. Take what you need to get out of here. So this is the moment celebrated to this day uh, in Israel. Uh, and so the crowd has spread, because these people are coming from all over Israel, some maybe every year, some every, every so often, uh, and at least once in their lifetime, they want to come to Jerusalem, the city of God, for Passover. There's also people who are what's called the diaspora. Those, those people are spread out all over the place. Jews who live in other places, other countries and cultures. And so there's this incredible, wonderful uh, camaraderie of people from all over the known world coming to, to Jerusalem. So it's a huge event. It would be like every major athletic event in our country rolled into one. Uh, 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 all happening at the same time. And so Luke gives us a little bit of insight here. Uh, about what's going on with Jesus. And the people are celebrating because it's such a big deal. So exciting. And the palm branches represent, first of all, they're easy to get. There's palm trees everywhere. So the palm branches are a really festive way of saying, we're, we're crazy. We're showing our praise demonstrably in the behavior. And, and, and it stands for peace. It stands for the prosperity of the people. But Luke tells us Jesus' perspective, parallel to this. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Jesus, we, we know, it's recorded that he wept twice. I mean, I wept many times, but he, we know twice. Once on the way into Jerusalem, just before this happened, when his friend Lazarus is dead. Mary Martha's brother, Jesus comes three days after he's dead, he's in the tomb. Uh, Jesus calls him out of the tomb, but Jesus wept when he, when he was in the presence of Mary Martha. He felt their pain. So now Jesus weeps over the city. And he says, if you, as it's speaking to the city, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, the irony being Yerushalayim, the city of peace, Salem, Shalom, peace. If you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden in your eyes. God himself has come into his own city, and you do not recognize him. Uh, and this represented a cascading series of events that resulted ultimately in Jerusalem being wiped off the face of the earth. Literally burned, everything that could burn was burned in AD 70. And by AD 135, everything that could have been, anything that anybody would recognize in Jerusalem had been torn down, pushed down, disrupted, thrown, thrown away, or carted off to build something else. It was a desolate place. So this is what causes Jesus to weep. Why? Because he's a savior coming to the city that needs saving. And the city, in this case, stands for all humanity. It's sort of the center of Israel. But Israel was called to be a people through whom God would tell the nations of his, of his love and his redemptive grace for all people. And so uh, Israel sees now itself as a self-contained entity. But really, they're a portal for the whole world. So the Savior comes to the city. Now the crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the to the uh, son of David. Why? Because the son of David was the one through whom uh, the, 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 the nation of Israel would be lifted up. So the son of David meant one who was messianic, that is to be a savior, one who is to be kingly. So it had to come to the house of David, David the greatest king in Israel. And so they're yelling out this, Hosanna, praise be to the son of David. So it just is so full of meaning. Now, the, the, the crazy thing about here is that, is that they're saying, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. The, the tension in the city is electric. Not just because of the festive nature of Passover, but because it's a tinderbox ready to blow up. You know, right now in the state of California, we are a tinderbox. 
millions upon millions of trees have been devastated by bark beetles, and as soon as there's a spark, the high sierra is going to explode in flame in the summer. It's crazy to think about. It. I mean, it's just shocking. And because we put off having regular forest fires, it's just every, everybody's nervous about this. This is how Israel was because the political climate was so intense. A dominated people subjected by the Romans, whose fortress was right next to the, the holy uh, temple. Uh, meanwhile, within the country, internally, there's all these factions fighting for power and control. And so everybody is walking on eggshells. I hope something bad doesn't happen. And there are, of course, people in the midst going, we're going to make something bad happen. So Jesus comes into this, and so on one level, it's all, yay, great, fantastic, but there's a whole lot of people going, oh no, oh no. What's going to happen this week? Because Jesus personifies to many people the hope of the nation. So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Riled up is a better word. Stirred sounds too common. They were like agitated. Like, what's going on? Who is this? All the locals, locals from Jerusalem or from northern Israel, who had seen Jesus, who had been fed at these feedings of five and 4,000 people, who had seen the miracles, who had heard the teaching, were saying, oh, let me tell you that. We think he might be the anointed one from God. The ones coming from outside of Israel, going, hey, we're all Jews. What are you Jews talking about? Uh, we're getting the word. So you can imagine it was spreading throughout the city. So layer upon layer of complexity in this, what otherwise looks like a very simple thing. Hey, it's a party, it's a parade. How complicated can it be? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. Now, the end of the week was very different than his entry. We know that. Everyone except Jesus would be surprised. Here he is, a hero coming to his own. By the end of the week, crucify him, crucify him. You talk about a whiplash of events. You know, every family coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday saying, oh, man, I want my kids to see this and be a part of this. At the end of the week, dear God, help me and my kids get out of this. The whole place is, is going nuts. So we call Palm Sunday also Passion Sunday. Passion Sunday. And the word passion, in our culture, it's a romantic word. The romance of, of romance. The romance of, hey, find your passion, the thing you just love, that lights you up and is really exciting and wonderful for you. But the root of the word passion is to suffer. Literally, the word passion means suffer. So when you talk about the, the passion of the Christ, it wasn't Jesus' best day. It's about Jesus being willing to suffer and sacrifice for those he loved deeply and dearly. And so passion is the sort of thing that causes a parent to, to sacrifice and suffer for their child. For, for a husband, for a wife, a wife, for a husband. For friends to die for one another. Jesus said, greater love has, has, has no one than to die for their friend. You know, the passion of, I believe so much, I'm going to lay down my life. You can have my kidney, right? Uh, you can have this, I'll do this, I'll help you here, I'll help you there. So the wonderful thing about passion is it, it, it's, it, it reveals the core of who you are. What moves you most deeply? That is your passion. Because that's the thing ultimately you are willing not only to celebrate, but to suffer for. And so all four Gospels describe this triumphal entry. And triumphal in, in quotation marks because, well, it's a guy in a donkey in a city that's about to explode. What's the triumph here? Well, here it is. Not the triumph that people would have said, hey, maybe he's going to finally get the Romans off our back. Maybe he's going to finally set things right. Maybe he's going to allow us to dominate this place for a change. But here's what it is. It's a secret triumph, really. It's triumphal because Jesus came into the city as a king, but as a king who is a servant leader. 
A king was willing to sacrifice himself for his people, not to subjugate his people. This is rare and radical. Think about that. The king was a servant leader willing to sacrifice himself to fulfill his mission. This is rare and radical because whenever we see this in our world, we're immediately attracted to it, and it's incredibly endearing. Because we're so used to leaders at any level, bossing everybody around. Big brother, little brother. Big sister, little sister. The dominant personality in the family. Uh, the, the, the best athlete, the loudest voice, the guy who started the band, you know, figure whatever setting it is, whether it's, it's a, a familial setting, a friendship setting, uh, a corporate setting, a political setting. You know, how do you know he's the king? How do you know he's the leader? How do you know she's the boss? Wherever she sits is the head of the table. There's a sense that there's control and command going on. Jesus reverses that. He says, um, <clears throat> the whole universe is at my beck and call, but I'm coming in uh, a message of peace, a message of reconciliation for you. <clears throat> to the point that his final prayer for us is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. So this is a radical view of being the most powerful person on the planet. And so uh, here we are then. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, uh, later uh, after the resurrection, and there's, a, there's this movement of Jesus is spreading around, a very informed, articulate Jew, I said, let me put this in context for you. I wrote a, a book we call Hebrews in the New Testament. And the, the writer says, drawing on Psalm 40, it says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and now he's putting in the words of, 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 in the mouth of Jesus these words, quoted from Psalm 40, sacrifice and offering you did not desire over, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. So Jesus comes in not to destroy the system that God had commanded of the people, the sacrifices, the obedience of the commandments. He came to fulfill it once and for all. And so it, it, the writer of Hebrews says, Then I said, um, quoting the Messiah, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do you, will my God. This phrase, here I am, is, is innocuous to us. But it's a, it's a one word, hineni. It's what Isaiah said when, when Isaiah is worshiping in the temple and he has this overwhelming experience of God. And God says, who, who shall be sent? Isaiah goes, Hineni, send me. And throughout the scripture, you see when, when God is calling somebody, they'll say, hey, send me. Put, put me in, coach. And so this is what the Messiah does. And so the writer of Hebrews, looking long after this fact that Jesus entered the city, going to his death and, and rising again from the dead, says, oh my gosh, it was fulfilling this very thing that we hoped and yearn for. And he goes on to say, For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is a, a momentous moment. That's the big deal. The big point I want to make, starting out, is this is God's Savior for his city and for all cities. So that leads me to the second point. It says, God has a heart for all people, and God has a heart for all cities. Now, you might get the first one and be curious about the second one. I, I, where does cities figure into this? But God has a heart for people. I hope you know that and believe that. And therefore, God has a heart for the city. Why? Cities are exciting and exhausting. Cities are exciting and exhausting. There's a gravitational pull of cities. At the World War I, there was a saying in America, how can you keep them down on the farm once they've seen gay parody? Once these people have gotten out of that little urban, uh, rural environment and they've seen the incredible splendor of a city, how do you pull them back into that small world? 
Cities are intoxicatingly attractive. People crave community but become detached. Look at that face in the middle of that picture. Years ago, I, uh, I was, I was, I was uh, in residence at, at Princeton Seminary, and I'm there for like six weeks doing this kind of sabbatical thing, and a buddy of mine from Newport Beach was also sitting there and said, hey, let's go to New York, and uh, you Chuck Perlman is playing at Comedy Hall. So we go to here at Chuck Perlman, can't get tickets, so they said, come back in two hours, so you go see this silly movie that just opened called Princess Bride. Um, <laughs> like, okay, that was interesting. You go back, sorry, no more tickets, but you have the Grateful Dead playing down in Greenwich. Okay, fine. You get out of Greenwich Village. Uh, sorry, sold out, you can't get in, and you're not high enough, you know, kind of thing. You know, um, you're too normal, you can't come into this concert. So we're like wandering around down in Greenwich, and all of a sudden, this wave of people, this mass of people, consume every aspect of the sidewalk and the street, and this parade is just overwhelming. It's like a wave. And every crazy costume you could ever imagine is so creative. It was like every every creative person on the planet had created this outrageous costume. And we're swept up and we're thinking, we need to go to this pizza place. And I, how do you get to the sea of people? And I said to my friend, hey, let's just walk in it. So we're walking along this parade. And finally, I saw this cop, and, and it was overwhelmingly crazy. And I said, hey, what is this? He goes, oh, it's a gay fiber. <laughs> All right, then. Well, um, let's just go with it. Let's just go with it, and here we are in the city. And, and in the midst of that incredible creativity and energy and all these creative things going on in these various venues, you can see the loneliness on people's faces, the emptiness, the sense of, okay, what else can I do? What else can I do to, to anesthetize myself, to medicate myself, to uh, embellish myself, to, to create the illusion of animal life, you know? And so that's what goes on in cities. Exciting, electric, attractive. And at the end of the day, it's like, okay, what else? But God has a heart for all people, and he has a heart for the city. And we believe that everybody needs Jesus. We believe that every city needs Jesus. Now, you might find that to be a radical and unrealistic thing to say. All I'm doing is looking at the pattern of God's word in the Bible. And apparently God loves every human being, and God loves the cities that they gather in. And you know, we live in a time when more people on the planet live in cities than ever before. Sixty percent of the people on this planet live in intense urban environments. There are 36,000 people that live in Tokyo. Think about that. An island state, not very big. Most of the people live in one big major, not one, but the major city. This is happening in our country. You know that 80% of this country used to be living on a farm 100 years ago? 20% does now. And this is just only going to get more intense. Urbanization is going to intensify. So let me give you some quick observations on cities. Cities are significant throughout the Bible. You can't read the Bible and not see that cities are significant. Secondly, the gospel started in a city. Acts 1-8 tells us that when Jesus uh, was going to ascend into heaven, he said, here's my commission to you. Take this good news, starting here in Jerusalem, start in the city, and you go to the surrounding area, Judea, and you go to the people you don't like, Samaria, and then go wherever you can go, the very ends of the earth. Third, cities are centers and engines for culture change. Culture change happens in cities. You can come from any farm you want, but ultimately when you're in a city center is when you get to develop your technology, when you get to, you, you get to produce that, that dissertation that captures a new body of knowledge or takes it to the next level. Uh, when you get to do the most creative thing, my friend Diane grew up in the birds of Orange County and loved to sing, and it was not until she stood on the, the stage of the Met as a principal singer that she thought, dear God, how far I've come. 
How did I get from the Burbs, Orange County, to being a principal singer at, at the Metropolitan Opera? Think of how many people. This is the, the, the story that we never get tired of hearing. The, the kid who grows up somewhere and ends up doing some outrageous thing. It's not so outrageous, because every kid has to grow up somewhere. And they find their, their way to a city where, where, the, where, the, where the intensity of ideas and, and capital converge to create things that are culture-shifting, culture-changing. Therefore, cities allow us to reach people efficiently and then to send people efficiently. Something works in the city, we start exporting it immediately. People demand that it, it comes to their town. Cities have infrastructure to support mission, whatever that mission is, the mission of commerce, the mission of creativity, entertainment, technology. For us, in terms of mission, cities are the epicenter for mission. Mission radiates from cities. Why? All these creative people are getting, getting great educations. One person in a city you, know, you can write a check that would support lots of people in far from places. Cities concentrate diverse talent and resources. If you're a young person starting your career, Generally speaking, you want to think about being in one of five cities in the United States. You want to start your career for even a short time in Manhattan, in Washington, D.C., probably in Los Angeles, depending on what your field is. Certainly, you want to be up in, in Santa Clara Valley, possibly Seattle, and, and in Dallas. 10,000 people a month moving into Dallas. Why? These cities are places that bring diverse talent and resources together and then disperse them. Yeah, I spent this many years on Wall Street, but now I get to live in Fresno because I've got a farm. You know, it's a reversal, but it came out of that city milieu. Finally, cities are part of God's plan for redemption. Cities are a significant, intentional part of God's plan for redemption. I love the way that the Bible ends. It ends with a city, a city coming out of heaven, a new version of God's city. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people in this city, and God himself will be with them and be their God. It says that there's no natural lights in this city because the light of God illumines the city. A river runs through the city. The city is continuously illumined and productive. So now we get to the third point. Do you have a heart for the city? Most of you apparently do because you picked San Diego as your favorite city. <laughs> do you have a heart for the city? You can be sure that God is. So on this Holy Week, I want, I want to encourage you to do two things. This week, walk with Jesus to the cross. If you've never been to a Monday Thursday service, you've got to come this Thursday at 6.30. It will so reframe your understanding of this Holy Week and, and, and what it means and why it happened. And then come back on Friday. Thursday at 6.30 and Friday at 6.30 for an hour each. Come back for Good Friday. We'll need to explain what Monday means and what Good Friday means. And then come back, of course, to celebrate with us uh, on Sunday. Celebrate Easter. And as you walk through this week with Jesus, punctuated by Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, celebrating Easter, also do this. Imagine Jesus coming to San Diego. Imagine Jesus coming to San Diego. Well, I can tell you, he's already here. He's already at work in San Diego. But I'd say for the purpose of just reframing your thinking and your perspective, as you imagine Jesus coming into Jerusalem this week and fulfilling his mission, imagine Jesus coming into San Diego. What would he do? What do you think he would do? How would you welcome him? How do you think people would respond to him? And here's the significant thing. If he pulled you aside and said, hey, tell me about San Diego. I need your perspective on San Diego. What's going on here in San Diego? 
What can I contribute to the city? What does the city need that only I can provide? When Alcoholics Anonymous went to Ireland, they started in Dublin, and in a, a large republic, you know, in the southern part of Ireland, its own entity, the Republic of Ireland. And they went to Dublin, and they said, this is what Alcoholics Anonymous is. We think that there's a need for here. They were told by the people in Dublin, oh, oh no, there's no need here. Put <laughs> up in the north. They'll need you up in the north, I'm sure. So with Jesus here for you, oh, there's no need here. There's nothing really you can do here. We're, you're kind of rolling here. We've got everything we need in San Diego. Would you say, no, no, let me tell you something. Let me tell you about the neighborhoods of San Diego. Oh my gosh. And, and start to pick out all the neighborhoods and tell a little bit of the story. And all the trends. You know, wow, you should have seen downtown San Diego gas lamp. Used to be a place for diseases and tattoos. Now it's a place for tattoos and expensive food. You know, <laughs> it's a transformation, you know. Wow, think about Torrey Pines Avenue, all those incredible institutes creating biotech stuff. What would you tell about San Diego? What would Jesus say? Wow, thank you. What, what would you want him to do in your city? So let's pray that people of our city will recognize Jesus as Savior and receive him as King. I don't think it's too outrageous to pray for a revival, a renewal, and awakening in our city. That this would become one of your daily prayers. Lord, bring renewal and revival and awakening to my city. Because my city is going to be part of the nexus of your work in this state, in this country, and around the world. Because Lord, if, if the wave coming out of San Diego matches the waves coming out of every other city that you're working in, wow, what a flood of righteousness. What a flood and revival and awakening. To pray that the people of the will recognize Jesus as Savior, receive Him as King, starting with you. Starting with you. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer. We pray for our city, the city named after your brother James. We pray, Lord, that this is a city claimed by you, founded by people in your name. We pray, Lord, that this is a city that will come to know your name in ways that will transcend culture, ethnicity, life experiences, genders, <coughs> nationalities, that, Lord, this would be a city that people would be discovering your love and your grace in ways they never thought possible. For those who are in the church or not in the church, Lord, that this would be a city that would be swept by a movement of your Holy Spirit. We pray this would be the case in every city across this country and around the world. Lord, we are outrageous and audacious enough to believe you and take you seriously at your word. That you've come to redeem this world that you weep over in each one in it, and that, Lord, you want us to be able to celebrate, to celebrate the incredible gift of life that you give us, through your life, your death, your resurrection, and yes, through your reign. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the ushers prepare to come forward to receive our tithes and offerings, there are four things that we would like you to do as you leave. One is we have Easter invitations in the foyer that you can take. They're in envelopes already. Hand those out to people so you can bring friends and family, neighbors. Um, second, get a palm frond. The ushers will be at both um, doors. You can take your palm frond and make a cross out of it. The instructions are in your bulletin. Um, take that home with you as a reminder this week of what we are honoring. And then third, third. Oh, the third is there are Easter baskets. The high school. Um, group are selling Easter baskets to benefit their trip to the Dominican Republic. Um, so if you'd like an Easter basket to get a jump on Easter Bunny, we don't do that, but you know. Uh, anyway, get your Easter basket, they're filled with goodies, 
And then fourth, um, if you have anything that you are weighing heavily, uh, that's weighing heavy on you today, somebody that maybe is in your life that needs prayer, maybe you need prayer, we encourage you to walk to the front of our sanctuary and a member of our prayer team will be there to say a brief prayer with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings you give us each and every day. Lord, we want to join you in the work you are doing in this church and in this city. So we get back to you now with generous spirits. We know that you will use these gifts, Lord, to draw more people into a closer relationship with you. Amen.
Come on Thursday. Come on Friday. Come on Sunday. And as you do, pray for your city. Invite people that you know to come with you to Monday, Thursday, to Good Friday, to Easter Sunday, whether they're believers or not. The idea is that you conscript them to this movement is to include them in this movement. And so now, now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.